What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is Bill Press and Friends on the District Productive Network. We get to the big debate last night. Yes, indeed, on CNN from 10 till 11.30 East Coast time. Uh, the seven, was it seven candidates? Oh, jeez, I forget where with, we are now, but Ray, that sounds right. With Ray, Ray Buckley, Buckley out. dropping out. May only be six left or, I don't know. Uh, however many. They were all there on Let's stage last night. It's like a three-person race at best. It is, yeah. <laughs> at <right>. best. <laughs> but but they were all asked there last night on uh, on CNN with uh, Chris Cuomo and uh, Dana Vash uh, being the uh, moderators. Uh, and uh, we heard from uh, all of them. The front runners certainly are Keith Ellison and Tom Perez, I believe. If it does go to um, multiple, it, it's definitely not going to be decided on the first ballot. Uh, if it does go to multiple ballots, a possibility of Jamie Harrison from South Carolina or Pete Buttigieg from South Bend, Indiana, the youngest of the candidates, emerging as the uh, uh, dark horse, if you will. We heard from, and as you know, uh, I am totally, strongly, enthusiastically supporting Keith Ellison for DNC chair. I think he's the one who can best do the job, best unite the party, having supported Bernie like me in the primary, and Hillary like me in the general. Um, but um, we'll see We'll see what happens. We heard from them last night. Uh, Keith got a little attention yesterday because Donald Trump tweeted out that Keith Ellison was really smart because he's the only one that predicted that Donald Trump might actually be able to win uh, the general election. Uh, Keith wasn't pleased with that pseudo-endorsement. No, I, I don't really welcome any praise from from President uh, Trump. It really pains me to say those two words. Uh, the, the fact <laughs> me too. That I can... But uh, Keith did say in the in the question. Remember, we talked to uh, Maxine Waters about this uh, last week, and the the big I word came up last night, uh, and Keith said, "Yeah, you know, it already applies." We've done a number of things which legitimately raised the question of impeachment. I mean, on day one, he was, on day one, uh, he, vi- he was in violation of the emoluments clause. This is a pr- part of the Constitution that says, as a, uh, the president, you can't get payments from a foreign power. That's what I want, by the way. That's what I want. I want someone to yeah. say, we have this tool, we're willing to use this tool, and by the way, he's already done something that would permit us to use this tool. Right. Day one. Day one. Impeachable uh, offense. He is in violation of the Constitution of the United States. He is. It's not that he may be. He is. There's no doubt about it. And the question is, when will Congress do its job? Maxine Waters made that same point, that we're not bringing impeachment on him. He has already brought impeachment on himself by his conflicts of interest, among other things. Uh, Keith Ellison has said he will resign from Congress and be a full-time Democratic chair, which God knows we need. 
Tom Perez will also be a full, another strong progressive, former labor secretary, best labor secretary we've ever had, um, would also be a, make a, I think, a good chair. I prefer Keith Ellison, but Tom's a, a very strong progressive, and he's emphasizing grassroots 24-7. We have to make house calls. We have to have a 12-month-a-year organizing presence. We, I was in rural Wisconsin on my rural tour, and I met a guy in northwest Wisconsin who said, I feel politically homeless because the Democratic Party had abandoned rural Wisconsin. And when we are organizing, when we're talking to people, you, you can't show up at a church every 4th October and call it an organizing strategy. That's how we take back the Senate. That's how we take back the House. And Tom Perez making that same point, by the way, when he was here in, uh, in our studio a couple of weeks ago. Uh, obviously, I think uh, um, the campaigning is taking a little toll on Tom Perez's voice. Uh, <laughs> but hey, it's, That's what hey, happens. He only has two days to go. Yeah. Power through, man. Uh, and this uh, debate was down in Atlanta, and that's where the vote will take place uh, on Saturday uh, at the DNC. Again, I think it's going to be multiple ballots. And one of the guys who may be able to pop through if it goes to a third, fourth, fifth, or 35th ballot, uh, Pete Buttigieg, uh, the uh, mayor of South Bend, Indiana, who represents a new generation uh, and a strong voice from the heartland, uh, got the support of former DNC chair Howard Dean yesterday, Pete Buttigieg. Well, one thing you could do to better engage millennials would be to put a 35-year-old in as chair of the DNC. <laughs> I know how it feels. I'm in my sixth year as mayor of our city. I'd say we're pretty successful. I got reelected with 80% of the vote. But I'm still occasionally confused for one of my own interns. So I know what it feels like uh, to, to be patted on the head and told you're the future. The best way to show that we are the present uh, is to actually engage us at every level, including the level of leadership. It's yeah. Swaggy Pete out here with all his credentials. <laughs> I know. He's killing it. Swaggy I know. Pete. I like this guy. Uh, I like him a lot. I like him a lot at the, uh, again, at the GW, George Washington uh, debate, which I attended on January 18. Uh, he, was, he, he was speaking, of, people were talking about liberal, conservative, whatever, and he said, you know, you know, if you want somebody, I don't like these boxes, and if you want somebody who's sort of hard to put stuff in a box, right, he said, uh, let me uh, well. Let, let me put it this way. Let me tell you how I started my Thanksgiving. Everybody's thinking, "Where is he going with this?" He said, "I started my Thanksgiving in my boyfriend's father's deer blind." We've all been there, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And it was sort of like there was so many things factored into that, right? That's a you know. Lot. And then we went to my boyfriend's house for dinner, and his mother cooked us a big dinner. Anyhow. He got us sort of all out there. So uh, he's a good guy. Pete, and, and and the only one with really executive experience. Uh, another, um, I think, person who might be able to emerge here, who's done an excellent job as uh, Democratic State Chair of South Carolina. Peter, nobody knows South Carolina politics better than you. You know how difficult it is to run the Democratic Party in South Carolina. Yeah. Our good friend Don Fowler and his wife Carol Fowler both did a great job. And so has Jamie Harrison who uh, yesterday saying we got to show the American people who we are. We have to show the American people what we are all about. And that is not just through words and flowery words, but it's through our actions. And that's what we're doing every day in South Carolina. We're going into communities, actually yeah. addressing the issues that they're dealing with. And that's really important for us to do as a part. Yeah. 
uh, strong leader down there would also make a strong leader again. Uh, I certainly support. If I had a vote, it would go to Keith Ellison. Hope that he emerges. I think he would do the best job of unifying the party. But it is a very, very important choice. Takes place this Saturday, and only the 477, I believe it is, members of the DNC get to vote. Yes, indeed, across the country, uh, over 400 by the last count, different uh, uh, town halls and events where uh, members of the broad resistance, if you will, are showing up uh, just identified as Americans who are not happy with the Trump agenda, uh, particularly repeal of Obamacare, and their um, voices to, uh, to have their voices heard and to make their points of view um, and to express their points of view. Claire Foran from the Atlantic has been following this whole movement, joining us in studio. Hi, Claire. Hi, thanks good, for having me. Good to see you. Um, we've been following some of these, you know, Chuck Grassley with a big town hall, mm -hmm. uh, Tom Reed up in uh, New York State, some of the ones that have got more, and Jason Ch Chaffetz out in uh, Utah. Yesterday, Marsha Blackburn with a town hall down in Tennessee. Um, Bill uh, Bill Cassidy in, in Louisiana. Louisiana got a little yeah. rowdy down there. Uh, maybe the one, the biggest one of all, was in North Carolina. With I mean, yeah, uh, to, with the Tom Cotton with Tom, in, um, in Arkansas. Arkansas. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, not North Carolina. Arkansas. Mm -hmm. Springdale. Springdale. Arkansas. Tom Cotton. Uh, and there were so many. I saw the picture on the Huffington Post. It's huge crowd. Yeah. And people waiting, you know, huge lines outside, About waiting a, for hours to a get in. thousand yeah. outside mm -hmm. trying to wait, couldn't get, were not, not able to get in. Uh, one woman, uh, Mary, kind of set the tone here. First of all, um, I'm Mary Story from Fayetteville, and I am not a paid protester. Yep, not a paid protester because the line from the White House, of course, is, uh, from Republicans yeah. across the board, and yesterday even from the White House at the press briefing was that a lot of these people are just paid to show up. Here is uh, Sean Spicer. There's a hybrid there. Um, I think some people are clearly upset, but there is a bit of, of professional protester manufactured base in there. Yeah. You know, I haven't seen any evidence of one quote-unquote paid, paid yeah. or professional protester. But what's going on with this whole movement, Claire? Well, um, you know, as you said, I think it really um, sort of got on the national media's sort of radar, you know, when Jason Chaffetz had his town hall in Utah, which was a little while back. Uh, really, I, I think what's been remarkable is just the that kind of the hostile confrontations that really were really seeing Republican lawmakers sort of put on the spot and I think the message, I mean, it's it's obviously a little bit diffuse, but it, it's fairly clear in terms of we're seeing chance of really sort of do your job getting yelled at a lot of these people. Chaffetz got that comment, which was obviously sort of So did Tom Cotton. So did right. Tom Cotton. I think Bill Cassidy also did. Now, with Chaffetz, of course, it takes on sort of a special meeting, meaning since he's the House Oversight Chairman and, you know, could be investigating but is not investigating Trump conflicts of interest. But to see it sort of across the board um, is interesting. And I think, you know, Obamacare 
has uh, it seems to be sort of driving the discussion, but of course it's so so much more than that. Um, you're seeing a lot of people calling on Republicans to, to do more to look into you know Russian interference, um, to do more to investigate Mike Flynn. Um, it's really I think a lot of anger that's sort of bubbling up, and it's been interesting to see it in some of the in some you know deep red states as well. Um, which, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm I'm trying to remember the name of the guy who beat Eric Cantor in Virginia. Dave Brett. Dave Brett. Yeah. Okay. Here's That's a guy, on Monday. Yeah. A Tea Party guy who who knocks off the establishment Republican, the, the second most powerful Republican in the House of Representatives. So in a deep red district. Yeah. And he, as sort of a a, a protester almost from the right, right, and now he's facing he's protests same... from the right. Yeah. In his district, <laughs> and and this is the message for all of them that they don't want them to be a rubber stamp for Trump's agenda. Yeah, I think that I mean, that it, is. It's not just mainly Obamacare, I think, yeah, but it's, it's not just standing up to Trump, not being, yeah, yeah right. not sort of rolling over. And I, I spoke with um, uh, somebody who's trying has been trying to uh, get Martha McSally um, in, in Arizona to commit to a town hall this week. Um, and it's you know a lot of these activists that I've spoken with are are people who've never been, you know, who say they've never been involved in really in politics before other than, you know, maybe they voted. But um, I spoke with somebody in Utah who was at the Chaffetz Town Hall and helped organize people to come to the Chaffetz Town Hall is associated with the local chapter of um, Indivisible there. But, you know, he said that he, before the election, he'd never even been to a protest. He'd never, you know, really. And, and, and he, I mean, I spoke with him over the phone and, you know, he even said himself, like, we don't even know really what we're doing. But it was like you could <laughs> hear like the energy and the anger yeah. in his voice. And when I was talking to him, he was saying he was on his way to Mia Love, who's another House representative uh, in Utah. And he said, "Where well, I'm on my way to her office right now. And, and he just said, like, we don't even know exactly what we're doing, but we just know we can't stop. And 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 he also commented on the way that Chaffetz uh, was dismissive of, of those protests and sort of saying, uh, you know, these people were trying to bully and intimidate and sort of suggesting they were out of state. And he sort of said, I mean, that just makes us angry. Well, how did he find out about all these how, how was he this guy you talked to yeah, how did finding he out it? about all these town halls and knowing where to go even knowing where and when to show up yeah well I, it does seem to be that um so indivisible which is this uh you know it started out as a guide <laughs> by former sort of progressive congressional staffers essentially the idea being of course to take a, a page out of the tea party playbook not in terms of adopting wholesale what the tea party did but particularly in terms of sort of pressuring members of congress through phone calls and through showing up town halls um and then now that's sort of turned into an organization right. in its own right but we it's ha- we really had a, a, one of the leaders of um indivisible guide in in the right. studio yesterday it indivisibleguide.com uh and it's, yeah they just they're former yeah. s- congressional staffers right and it seems who had like, this idea yeah. you know we should well let's focus on congress and let's let people know all the different ways that they could have an impact phone calls yeah. letters whatever, uh, emails and showing up at these town halls or their district offices. Yeah. And it seems that that guide has really I mean, I remember when the guide first came out and sort of seeing it on social media and wondering to what extent it would really take off, you know, whether 
whether or not it would just be something that maybe journalists sort of write about but doesn't necessarily take hold. But it really does seem that a lot of people who are just sort of almost desperate for something to grab onto have grabbed onto sort of the guidelines in this guide and, and are following it. And um, and it is really remarkable to see, you know, I know you guys were talking about the DNC race, but it's like we still haven't have that. The DNC race still has yet to be decided. Um the Democratic Party is sort of an institutional apparatus is kind of in some ways it's like resist Trump plans are on hold until that gets figured out. But really, we're seeing so many people that are kind of rushing in to fill that void. Yeah. I mean, one thing that's pretty clear, uh, these this resistance in all of its manifestations yeah. is not being organized by the Democratic Party. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm sure there are a lot of Demo- I know there are a lot of Democrats as part of it, but there are also a lot of independents and a lot of people, yeah. as you pointed out, who haven't been to a, to a protest ever before. It's yeah. not the Democratic Party that is Pull, no, it's, that is pulling the strings. It's, it's really not. That is um, this. Really, I think to even suggest if Republicans want to suggest that the Democratic Party is pulling the strings, in some ways that's almost giving the party too much credit because I really think the party has been sort of set on its heels as far as I mean, in a lot in a lot of these red states too, that probably the party doesn't have that much uh, right. organizational capacity to begin with. Um, but really, we're seeing um, these are just people. They're people who haven't been involved mm-hmm. in politics uh, to this extent before. Right. Uh, before we uh, leave. Uh, Tom Cotton in Arkansas, the real star of the town hall yesterday, was a sef- so. In talk about the range of issues that mm-hmm. people are showing up to protest, uh, here is Toby. Toby is seven years old. He uh, was very. He's very upset because Donald Trump. It's been reported that he's going to. This is something Republicans have wanted to do for a long time. He's going to cut the funding for PBS. Cut the funding. For, the uh, NEA yeah, as for, well. I mean, it's it's just it goes on and on. Right across the board, uh, in order to build his wall. And this kid, Toby, says you've got the wrong priorities. Here he goes. Donald Trump thinks a wall is more important than kids' games and stuff. But to kids, it's more important. And deleting all the parts in PBS Kids just to make a wall. <laughs> Yep, they're eliminating all the parts in PBS Kids just to make a wall. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he's out there, right? This kid, he's got a future governor of Arkansas. Here. Yeah, I don't know. getting yeah. an early start in activism. Uh, right. Hey, everybody, this is Bill Press. Thanks for listening to the Bill Press and Friends podcast. And now do yourself a favor. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to the show on iTunes. Here's what you do. Just search for the Bill Press show. Then you can take us with you and listen in anywhere you go. And you'll get new shows from us as soon as they're posted. And one more thing. If you really enjoy Bill Press and Friends, please help us grow by telling a friend, writing a review, and giving us a rating on iTunes. It's so great to have you on board. Many thanks. We want to talk more about the resistance, the town halls, yes, but even beyond that, how you can plug in uh, one organization that's been doing that for years now, they really know what they're up to, uh, is MoveOn.org. And Ben Wickler is the Washington director of MoveOn.org, joining us in studio. Ben? There's such a wide range of issues, right, that that are driving these protests. A lot of it, as we've discussed, is Obamacare, but not exclusively. It's climate change, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. 
it's this. Uh, it's the Muslim ban, right? And there will be others. Does does the movement need like one big victory to kind of <clears throat> keep it going and give it some yeah extra shot of energy? Like if it, well, I think that we actually are winning already, and and I point to the Affordable Care Act specifically. And that is something where, again, they plan to pass it. And every day they don't repeal, we are winning. And it's worth celebrating and recognizing and pointing that out. Yeah. I would also say every time— By the way, you know, it takes longer to get things done, as we know, in Congress anyhow. But they're the ones who said Mitch McConnell, Paul Ryan, Donald Trump, day one. Absolutely. So, you know, so they're the ones who set up the test of day one. We will judge them by their own yardstick. Exactly. That's absolutely right. Yeah. Now, this spring there are uh, five— Big marches planned. There's on the uh, on the fifteenth. There's a tax day march. <laughs> okay. Move on. I'll be uh, helping you know turn folks out for that. That started with a former Colbert Report writer who saw <laughs> Kellyanne Conway go on TV. Uh, she said, "No one cares about Donald Trump's taxes," and he tweeted, "Let's show them we care." How about the next big march is on tax day, April 15th. April fifteenth. Right. So if you go to taxmarch.com right now, you can you can sign up. There are more than sixty marches across the country. Three hundred thousand people have RSVP'd for Facebook events for for marches all over the United States. So that's going to be big. We, then, have to, we have to put these up on our yeah, website. Make sure totally. uh, all of our uh, friends will show up to tax march. Well, the, the, that's that assumes that the audit is done by then. <laughs> Audit has first this of all this is the longest damn audit know, in the right? history of the IRS. First of all, he hasn't yeah. proven he's being audited. That's true. Right. That, yeah, that's the other thing. <laughs> no, no, like, no. We don't yeah. know. We don't know. Secondly, you can still release your tax returns even if you are being audited. Yep. Thirdly, there's lots of years that he hasn't released, not just the most current ones. Doesn't seem like he's being audited for everything yeah, simultaneously. Right. And lastly, I mean, what the hell? He's the president of the United States. Give me a break. You know, what's he he worried about? Show us. Show us how much money he owes to Russia. Show us how much he dodged his taxes and, you know, loopholes that he he used. Show us, you know, what the, who the hell he's owned by. You know, I I, I do think that that battle has been won. I mean, it's never going to be won until he releases his tax returns, but that's never going to happen. Yeah. But I do think that there are probably. He's lost the argument. He's lost the argument. I do think there are probably, I would say, 30% 30% of Americans who just don't care. They think it's smart that he's never paid his taxes. Yeah, but the so the real thing, right, is it's not that he's going to voluntarily release his taxes. It's that a, an investigative yes. force with yes. subpoena power will demand his taxes. Yes. That I would love to see. That is how we get his taxes. And that could happen. The House seems to be completely falling down on the job, yeah. and the Republicans better watch their majority if they if they think not holding Trump accountable is a good strategy. The Senate you know, has this intelligence committee probe, but there needs to be a public probe. By, you know, by a bipartisan public probe by senators, there should be a special prosecutor. Jeff Sessions should recuse himself and appoint somebody who can actually do this right. He wrote this whole letter explaining why Loretta Lynch had to recuse herself from yeah. investigations into, into Hillary Clinton. It's time for that exact principle to be applied to the Trump-Russia connection. And that's the context in which I think that the, the tax returns okay. could come now, out. Now, I've got my marching shoes on. Let's go back to the list. Okay, all right. <laughs> so we got the tax march on the 15th. <clears throat> the next week... The 22nd is the People's Climate March. Yep. Now, you remember the last People's Climate March had 400,000 people in New York City, had people all over yeah. the world. Yeah. Wow. This is the next People's Climate March. Uh, uh, oh, I'm the, sorry. That's the scientists, too. Right? I, I, you know what? I oh. just got confused. The 29th is the People's Climate March. Oh. Right. The 22nd's in the middle. That's the science march. Oh, that's the science. Oh, <laughs> yes. oh okay. Yes, so there's so many marches. So the 22nd is scientists. Normally scientists no, right. do yeah. not you know, get involved right. in politics. There's an assault on science going on right now. Yeah. The assault on truth 
you know, the assault on truth by this administration is nowhere more <laughs> profound than when it attacks science itself, the basis, the edifice of human advancement. And scientists in their lab coats are going to be marching in Washington, D.C. So that is the 22nd. Yeah. The next weekend, the whole climate movement turns out. And the climate movement at this point it is so far beyond the old stereotype of environmentalists. This is a movement of indigenous peoples, of you know, of of uh, folks from communities that you know live near coal-powered power plants, of, of everyone who's concerned about this planet. Young people, this is one of the top issues. That'll be a huge march that represents the whole coalition of, of folks who want to preserve the planet for future generations. <laughs> then on the sixth, there's an immigrants what, march. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, We're so now into uh, May? May, yeah. Right, so we okay. got, now get to May. <laughs> we get three in April, and we get... Jeez, what happened to March? Everybody's well, marching. Well, uh, okay. <laughs> be... There's, there, there will be protests in March. I have okay. no doubt about that. Yeah, uh, we just don't know what they are yet. There's but not May 6th. Yeah. May 6th, there's an immigration march. Ooh. I'm sure there will also be marches on May Day, which is May 1st. Mm. Oh, yeah. Um, but there will be a big national immigration march on May 6th. This administration is targeting immigrants... You know, the people in the administration not only are against uh, undocumented immigrants, they're against legal immigrants. They're talking about cracking down yeah. on people who have gone through this incredibly circuitous, insane legal system to, to come here and contribute to the United States. And the Trump administration wants to kick them out and, you know, close the portcullis on them. So that is going to be a big march. And it's, it's incumbent on all of us to stand with them. And then on 11th, there's a pride march. And, uh -huh. you know, this administration, there there had been this idea that maybe they were not going to yeah. target LGBT yeah. people. We saw that yesterday. Bingo. Uh, out right. the window. Yeah. Right out the yeah. window. Revoking protection for, for transgender students at public schools. I mean, if, you, if you're part of, and almost every American is in one way or another, part of a group that has been marginalized or attacked at some point, you know, do not think for a second this administration is not coming after you at some point. And frankly, coming after everyone, anyone who needs health care in this country is targeted by this administration. So this is this is a series. And those are just the ones planned so far for the next few months. There will certainly be spontaneous fights. There will be more congressional recesses. The tax day march is in the middle of a big 11 day recess in April. And if you think that this oh, resistance recess yeah, oh, was big, wow. yeah. you know, the next one is going to is going to be a, a tsunami. And I, I think we're going to see one after another moment when people show up. Plus. The whole uh, strategy that Indivisible has been calling for, I think, is really brilliant. It's to focus directly in on what it is that Congress is talking about at, it, at this particular moment, at each moment. It's, they, call, they call it defensive, like ferocious defensive political advocacy. Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, as progressives, we like talking about our, our positive agenda. And certainly when we, when we get to Election Day, part of what you know, part of the reason why we want people to get elected from the Democratic Party and, and progressives to get elected is to fight for the positive agenda that we have. But there's also, not to be dismissed, the uniting power of no. When the when the right wants to do something terrible, coming together and saying, no, this right now is unacceptable. That is actually a uniting, powerful force. Mm -hmm. The rejection yeah. of extremism is something that can bring together a lot of people who might not normally be able to agree on something. You don't need to hammer out, you know, your 15-point plan if all you're doing is coming together and saying, this will not stand. Uh, well, we, we certainly, if we learned any lesson from what the Republicans did for the last eight years, that was their entire program. That's true. just saying no. That's true. no to everything, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's, there's uh, no, you know, Democrats have lots of ideas. There's no shortage of those. Right. A strong. But sometimes you have to stand up and say no. Absolutely. Particularly when the other side's in charge. Absolutely.
Yeah. A big all caps emphatic no with an exclamation point, you know, a backbone of steel. That's that's what's needed right now. And the public is looking to Democrats to see whether we actually have the spine to stand up to some of this extreme outrageous stuff that, that the public does not like. So it really, you know, actions and words speak very loudly right now. Uh, when you're in, in defiant opposition of an extreme administration. So um, I love the fact there, it's, there seems to be a um, one theme or slogan that's emerging from these town halls, which is for the Republican town halls anyhow, do your job. Do right. your job. Do your job. <laughs> <It's>, do your <laughs> job. There it is. Do your job. Yeah. You know, it says so much, you know, in three little words there. I love it. I don't know who thought it up, but <laughs> it probably just, again, just emerged I, out of some yeah, crowd. I first heard Jason it at a Chaffetz protest. is the first time I heard it. There, you know, I but. first heard it outside uh, in a big crowd. I first heard it outside the Supreme Court. That was that was Democrats holding a, um, uh, a protest against oh. the travel ban. Oh, wow. And people started telling them to do their job. And what they meant was do your job and stand up to this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and that's part of what they're saying to Republicans too. You are supposed they to be represented. Stand up to Trump. Stand up to yeah. Trump. Do congressional oversight. Investigate. You know, right. investigate the corruption. Investigate the unconstitutionality. That is their job. There's the whole the founders' idea of this country is that you have co-equal branches of government that hold each other in check. But Congress only holds the the executive branch in check if members are willing to do their job to put country before party. And that is this basic test of patriotism that Republicans are failing to do right now. If they don't do their job, constituents will do our job, right? Throw them out of office, make them accountable to the public if they won't hold the Trump administration accountable. The White House telling us that um, they still think their first Muslim ban was totally constitutional, refused to admit that uh, they blew it, but they're going to come out just in case with a second executive order, maybe as early as today. Abed Ayub is the legal and policy director for the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee, or ADC, joining us uh, in our studio. Abed, thanks for coming back in. Thank it's, you. It's I good, appreciate it. Good to see you. Tell us, let's stick with the first ban. I mean, first of all, it is a ban, isn't it? It uh, is a ban. There's no other way to explain it but a ban. It's, the White House it's, denies it. Yeah, they keep using extreme vetting and other you know flowery terms, but it's a Muslim ban, and and that's what it is. What impact did it have on you know real families? Uh, it, it had a significant impact. I mean, you you dealt with a number of individuals who, for example, students who were not able to come back uh, uh, to their studies, fiancés who were not able to be united with their spouse, uh, people that were not able to come here for medical treatment. So there was a real life impact. And on top of the individuals that were not permitted in, uh, you had over 2,000 individuals who gave up their green cards uh, who signed the Form I-407 or the Abandonment of Green Card form uh, within those first few days where the ban was uh, uh, implemented. So you have individuals who now are are stuck overseas and probably have to go through the whole process again to come back in. So this had a real-life impact uh, on uh, nationals from these seven countries and their families uh, here in the U.S. as well, well. So let's talk about these seven countries. How are these seven countries? You know, I go to the White House briefings, and so, yeah. you know, what they keep saying, hey, a big deal. I mean, these are the seven countries that President Obama identified as the most dangerous countries on the planet, and so all we're doing is what Obama did. Well, Obama didn't identify them as dangerous countries. What Obama did was uh, make them part of the uh, visa waiver program, changes to the visa waiver program. 
So even under Obama's rules, if you were a national of one of those seven countries, you couldn't enter the U.S. on a visa waiver uh, program. You had to apply for the visa. So if you had a British national, a British citizen from Somalia, or travel to one or and travel to one of those countries, they would not be able to enter the U.S. on a visa waiver or the ESTA program, but they would still have the option of going to apply for a visa through the normal process from the U.S. Embassy. So, so they were given another, uh, uh, an extra level of security. Yes, they're will. given an extra level of security, and there was no ban on, on allowing them or pre- preventing them from coming to the U.S. Well, what about the fact that several people pointed out that these countries, the seven mentioned, uh, are not the countries where most known terrorists have come from? That, that is a fact. Pakistan but, is not on the list. Saudi Arabia is not on the correct. list. Correct. But for us, in our position, is there should, no, there should be no list. Uh, period. Period. There should be no list. And the individuals from those countries, and even in the individuals from Saudi Arabia and Pakistan, they're not terrorists. They, these are individuals that come here, come to the U.S. for legit purposes. So we, we can't um, look at it at that angle, because then folks would say, well, if we had Saudi Arabia, would it be okay? No, it wouldn't be okay, because there should be no list preventing people from entering this country based solely on their religion. So the answer is vetting? The answer is right now we seem to have a system in place. Now, if you take a look at recent attacks that are happening in the U.S., they're not coming from the Arab right. or Muslim community. Right. So That's we, right. Yeah, getting to. Right. Yeah, yeah. so we, we don't have an issue with our, our, our visa program. Uh, if anything, but, these individuals are waiting years to come. The, the, it's not that easy, though, to get in. I it? was no. I, I, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I don't think you were here when we talked about it. But This American Life did a, 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 a show all about the extreme vetting that's yeah. currently going on. Mm-hmm. And I highly encourage everybody to go listen to it because it hasn't been explained well enough about what we are currently doing to people who want to come here. It takes literally years, yes. years. And they talk to a guy whose job it is to vet people who want to come here legally, you know, and that it will take forever. And he'll get to a point where he says, I am 97 percent sure that they that this person is going to be totally fine. Ninety seven percent of it checks out. Everything looks really good. But there's just a shadow of a doubt. And you know what happens? They don't get in because it has to be. Air tight, yeah. and like you said, the people coming here aren't the problem. Correct, and that's ex- especially important, uh, especially true uh, about Syria. Correct. Correct. The refugee process for those coming from Syria is <laughs> taking years. Uh, it's not like you apply for your visa or your refugee status and you're coming here in a month or two. Some individuals are waiting two, three years. Uh, there was a family in the Metro Detroit area from Sudan that had to wait 13 years. Before their refugee status was was uh, provided, these are refugees as opposed to as opposed to immigrant uh, uh, people applying for visitor visa or students students and so forth. Yes, and even the students and those that do come here, we have mechanisms in place. We have systems in place where if a student falls below a certain number of hours, that you know, a full time uh, class load, then they are uh, they lose their status. So we we have mechanisms in place to ensure um, you're here for your intended purpose. And this added vetting is trying to create a solution for a problem, really, that doesn't exist. The um, Southern Poverty Law Center uh, this week uh, noted, put out a report, uh, that the number of anti-Muslim organizations in this country has uh, expanded exponentially 
What yeah. what impact yeah. are you seeing it, it, in the it's, real world? It's a it's a chilling impact. I mean, they are really doing their best to intimidate individuals. The bullying online, the the rhetoric online is scary. Um, we are at a point now in my hometown of Dearborn, which has the largest Dearborn, Michigan, which has the largest concentration of Arabs and Muslims um, in the country. There were protesters walking around with open carry, you know, holding their uh, semi-automatic weapons, walking down the streets where where I grew up. Now, sure, you can do that with an open carry, but if the rhetoric keeps getting bad at one point or another, you're going to have these individuals targeting the community, and you're going to see violent acts. You're going to see these open carries and these and this rhetoric turn into physical violent yeah. crimes, which we've seen happen before. Um, but it could happen on a large scale, and we're going to have you know a lot of uh, injuries, a lot of death toll, and and it's it's very problematic and it's scary. And the community members are afraid. Uh, and it's not just the Arab or Muslim community. I mean, we are seeing this in other immigrant communities as well, where the xenophobia and the rhetoric is, is beginning to turn into uh, <clears throat> hate crimes and hate actions towards these people. There, there are numbers that will back that up, right? There are people who yeah. say, like, oh, it's being blown out of proportion, or this is just like a handful. <laughs> like, It's not. We're seeing actual quantifiable numbers from police departments around the country that are seeing this. And... You're not getting any kind of pushback from the, pre- the 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 leaders of this country to say this is flat out wrong. When a Jewish reporter asked Donald Trump about this at his press conference last week, his response was, "Sit down and shut up." Sit down and shut up. Yeah. Never yeah. condemned what's yeah. happening. Never spoke out against it. Just went on another sort of self-congratulatory yeah. thing about how much he won by. Yeah. He did not uh, speak out at all, in fact, until he visited the uh, African American Museum the day before yesterday yes. uh, when he finally read a little statement saying, now we're talking about the attacks we've seen on Jewish centers. Yes. Uh, and there have been, I think, some 80 of them since the, since the first of the year and 150 uh, graves that were desecrated in yeah. uh, the cemetery in in St. Louis uh, just a couple of days ago. Um, what's been the response of the Muslim community to those incidences against the Jewish people? The Jewish well, people? It, it, you have seen a lot of unity in standing together against uh, these crimes. The Jewish community has stood with the Arab and Muslim community uh, when there are hate crimes targeting us. Uh, and this time you did see a, a immediate reaction from the Muslim and Arab community uh, standing with the, the the Jewish cemetery in the center, the the fundraising drive, which uh, brought in I think now close to a hundred thousand um, dollars to help repair uh, uh, those uh, headstones and and the damage that was done. So there is a and, sense. And this of was a these. this was a fundraising drive done by Muslim leaders, right? Yeah, yes, to, to, yes, to, it was. It was done by Muslim leaders, um, uh, uh, Tarek Al Masadi, I believe, and uh, Linda Sarsour, uh, and it was used uh, by Launchgood, which is a Muslim-driven uh, uh, platform. Uh, to help fundraise for causes and so forth. So across the board, it was a and, good and effort. And this was directed to repairing these, these uh, putting the tombstones back, repairing these gra- these grave sites in exactly, St. Louis. Yeah. Exactly. And it was, a, it was a great drive, and it shows the um, uh, the unity, and it shows how we need to stand against these acts, regardless of uh, religion or, or ethnicity. This is a the, the, These perpetrators committing these hate crimes look at us all the same way. And they see Muslims and Jews and, and, and Arabs and Hispanics the same the same way. So they're going to target us uh, regardless. And it, whenever they have an opportunity to act, they will act and they will target us all.
The Parting Shot with Bill Press. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, so if you take a look back at all 45 presidents, you'll find that they have one thing in common. They all had problems with the media. They all complained about their press coverage, but none of them hated, yes, hated the media like Donald Trump. I mean, for him, it's a passion. If he reads any story that's not a positive story about all how great he is, he thinks that that reporter must be uh, on the Democratic Party's payroll and must have his own political agenda. Uh, Not only that, that reporter might even be anti-American. Yes, indeed, Donald Trump has not only called the media very, very dishonest, he has actually called us the enemy of the American people. Yes, the enemy. Think about it. The enemies of the American people are al-Qaeda, ISIS, radical Islamic terrorists, and, of course, the media, which is, of course, total, total nonsense. Now, you could just laugh that off as the rantings of a maniacal clown, but calling the media the enemy is really dangerous for a couple of reasons. One, because it undermines public confidence in one of our most basic and revered institutions, a free and independent press. And second, because it encourages other world leaders, particularly dictators around the world, like in Turkey and China and Saudi Arabia, to continue, and Russia, to continue their suppression of the media on the theory that if it's okay for the United States, it's okay for them too. And in the middle of all of this, though, there's one ray of hope that except for his diehard supporters, Donald Trump's war on the media is not selling. The latest Quinnipiac poll showed that Americans by 52 to 37 say they trust the media more than Donald Trump to tell the truth about important issues. In other words, the media may not always get it right, but they don't tell outright lies like Donald Trump. This is The Bill Press Show.